Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. You could not tell me (laughs) that I would be doing any of the things that I'm doing today. Ten years ago, I would have never believed you. I I was convinced that I was going to die in that lifestyle because I was trapped. I was in complete bondage. There was no way out. Pastor Paul's guest today is Jenny Gaines, the founder and director of JCS Sober Living Houses. Jenny has a remarkable story to share, a story of God's redemption from a life involved in sex trafficking with seemingly no way out to a new life of now helping young women get a new start, no matter how hopeless the situation seems. And now with Jenny's story is Pastor Paul Johnson. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was a golden boy. All we can do right now is come together. Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes. I am so glad you've joined us on Life Support. This is a podcast that may be different than many you listen to because our goal is to tell stories. And some of the stories that are told are not easy at all to either tell or to hear. But in the end... It glorifies Christ because he is the healer. He's the one who steps in and changes lives. And God has done amazing things through a lot of people. And I've got a woman here with me today that fits right into that category. Her name is Jenny Gaines. She's the founder and director of JCS, Effective Sober Living. Jenny, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate it so much. And tell me a little bit about, first, what is JCS? JCS is um, a nonprofit. We are sober living for women who are in recovery from addiction and trauma, and most of the women at JCS have experienced being sexually exploited in some kind of way, whether that was trafficking, dancing, pornography, sleeping with your drug dealer for a place to stay, sleeping with somebody, or I mean... Sure. You know what I mean. Yeah. 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 Well, it's interesting when we talked about this before and you kind of described what sex trafficking is and some of the new terminology that's used around it, the, you know, the drug dealer, the prostitution, we all kind of go like, yeah, we knew that, we knew that, we knew that. All of a sudden you're into pornography, um, strip clubs, and there's probably a lot, of, not a lot of people that would associate those with that kind of being a victim. Yeah, with being a victim. Right. Um, I'm just, uh, I've been working with women who've been sexually exploited for over 10 years, and I can't tell you how many intakes I've done. I have never done an intake where I came to the determination that they chose to be in that lifestyle. There was always an underlying factor. Something happened to them. They were born into it. Uh, they didn't have another choice. It's. I know it can look like a free choice, and some of the women might even say that they're choosing this. But in all reality, it it's not a choice. Yeah, and your experience led you to some really dark places. Uh, you've been in prison. Tell me about your family and how... Um, your family relationships were affected by all this? Um, I guess I would have to tell you about my mom first. And my mother and Jesus are like this. They are super tight. 
And I used to joke around when I was in the lifestyle and call my mom, like, stop praying for me. I can't find any drugs. I can't, nothing's going right. But um, my mom, um, she received a prophecy about me when I was a baby. And the way she, she told this story to my children to encourage them when I was in that lifestyle for 28 years. And the way the story goes is she was coming down the hallway with her laundry basket and she had I was playing on the blanket as a baby and she heard this voice, uh, not from outside, but a voice that came from within. And it told her that I was going to cause her a lot of pain. And she was like, huh, what? Jenny? She's such a great baby. And she said, but then the voice told her, but it was only going to be for a short time. And then one day, I was going to help a lot of people. And she kind of forgot about that. And it wasn't until I became 14 and became a rebellious teenager that she remembered that story. And so my mom never stopped praying for me and prophesying and waiting for that second part of the prophecy to come. And my son David, you know, she told that to my son David. And every time I went to treatment... He used to call my mom and, Grandma, is the second part of the prophecy here? Hmm. You know? She'd say, I don't know. We have to wait and see. So I believe it was my mom's prayers that saved my life. And I don't know where I'd be with if it wasn't for her relationship with Jesus and everything she taught me about Jesus and his love for us. A lot of people can say that, that their moms almost literally prayed them into heaven. Tell me about your son, David. Well, David was very impacted um, from me being in that lifestyle. David was my intelligent kid, super, super smart, and very overly protected, protective. I remember him asking me, you know, all the time, Mom, who are you talking to on the phone? Mom, why are you wearing that outfit? Where are you going? And, um, you know... I didn't know. I mean, he drove me nuts with all his questions, and I insulted his intelligence every time I lied to him. And I lied to him because I wanted to protect him. And um, so our, you know, David went through a lot of embarrassment and shame of his mother being involved in that lifestyle, and I think it was very hard for him, and he became very angry and um we couldn't be in the room for five minutes together without not getting along, you know, without anger coming into the room. And I remember when I went to Breaking Free and I was seeing a therapist there and she gave me an assignment. You know, I had done affirmations before, but she gave me a certain thing to say in the mirror and it was, only God defines me. And then she said, I want you to ask God to define you today. Well, one day I was in the mirror curling my hair and just being sarcastic like it's not going to work. And Only God defines me. Please define me today, you know, yeah. thinking, you know, he's not listening to me. He doesn't care. And all of a sudden David came and, you know, he grabbed me by my hips and kind of pulled me and kissed me on the cheek. And he said, I just want you to know, Mom, that you are very, very beautiful. And I thought, oh, my God, you know, that came from David. He doesn't give those kind of compliments freely. And I knew it was God defining me and my real beauty. And it's not my hair and my makeup. It was how people see me. And 
then uh, I relationed. It took him a long time. He was watching me and watching me, but we have a very good relationship today. But it took a long time to earn his trust. Yeah. You know, God sends those messages through so many different avenues and through people, and uh, that must have meant so much to you. It did. As you were trying to put your life back together. and Yeah. You know, I think of um, the the different people you've run into. You, know, you talked about a therapist that uh, understood what you needed at that time. And, and now you're one of those people that's helping women put their lives back together. Did you ever think that you would be on this side of the street helping them? You could not tell me <laughs> that I would be doing any of the things that I'm doing today. Ten years ago, I would have never believed you. I, th- I was convinced that I was going to die in that lifestyle because I was trapped. I was in complete bondage. There was no way out. Pastor Paul will return with Jenny's story in a moment. More stories like Jenny's and other stories of trauma can be listened to and viewed at the website lifesupportresources.org. Life Support Resources are a ministry of Five Stone Media, and you'll find stories of hope, healing, and change, again, at this website, lifesupportresources.org. And now back to Pastor Paul. So I'm, I'm very humble when I look at my life today. I just well, What would you say to someone who... Um, pushed back on that and said, well, you always had choices. You could have always left. You know, people said that a lot. Uh, you know, um, you know, people always ask me, what could people have done different? And my answer to that is they could have not had those kind of attitudes. Just get a job. <laughs> right. You have a choice. You can leave if you want to because it's not – It's it, it wasn't like that, you know. How do you just go get a job – when you've got a sixth grade education, you have no job history, no work skills, no uh, no resume, no no ID. You know, how do you just go get a job? Who is going to hire you? McDonald's? Uh, how was I going to support myself on on that wage and take care of my kids and and maintain my housing? You know, how was I going to do that? How do you just go get a job? How do you get go through an interview with when you don't have any confidence and you don't even understand office politics or interviewing techniques and all that is so overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't just happen. No. It doesn't. It's it actually you are convinced that it's impossible for you. Mm-hmm. That's a life for others. That's people. like a different world out there and you don't fit into that world. Right. It's for others. It's kind of like um, when you're dealing with an abusive situation in a home and a woman want, desperately wants to leave but is terrified of the thought because she has no idea what she would do. And, of course, some of that's just lies that she's learned to believe because there are, there are things. But um, it's good to hear that perspective because it, I think that brings empathy into these situations when um, a lot of times I think – People who are on the kind of conservative bent are a little harsh, to be frank. You know, like, well, you know, to drive by somebody who's out there begging and just say, well, you know, 
it could be they could be working. Like, why are they out here? Now, sometimes they could be. A lot of times they can't be. Well, what are you doing to help them get there? Yeah, and that was just gonna, that was that was exactly where I was headed. How can a believer? What can we do for to 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 help people who are trapped mm-hmm. in this lifestyle? Well, first we got to lose that attitude mm-hmm. that oh, you just you're choosing this, right? Or you want to be like this, or this is all a result of your your choices. Yes, that's true. Um, but what is the deeper issue? You know, ask more questions. You know, there's all kinds of things we can do. For one thing, we can pray for that person. The other thing is you can, you know, donate to the organizations that are helping those people, donate to our churches. Um, but the main thing is we got to lose that attitude. You know, you can't look at people and think of it like a business or a corporation. Like, okay, we just need to do this, bam, you know, yeah. and make all these decisions and not care about who they affect. The only thing that helped me get out of that lifestyle was, I mean, it was a process. Uh, and the first step of that process was deprogramming my dysfunctional thinking. You know, I had to be somewhere where I could talk about my true feelings, you know, the feelings of degradation, you know, with somebody about being in that lifestyle. You know, I went to therapy sessions, you know, and, and I try to talk about those things and and those sessions would turn around like, oh, you were in that lifestyle. Oh, okay, well, what was the most money you ever made? Oh, wow, that's tax-free? I'm in the wrong business. You wow. Know. Is that uh, right? Tell me about mm. the, your worst experience, you know. Um, wow. So those therapy sessions, I realized, would turn, they don't understand, they don't get it. You know, I want to talk about, you know, how I actually sometimes just want to die because I don't I don't want to be here anymore because how come my life how come I can't you know have a safe secure life why do I have to live in violence and degradation and you know you feel like you have this scarlet letter on your forehead mm-hmm. where everybody knows what you've done and where you've been because you could just be in the grocery store and somebody will approach you like, you know, you have this look or victim on your forehead. Right. And, and all they saw you as is a window into a lifestyle they didn't understand. Yeah. You know, and it turned, they want, mm-hmm. you know, I call it trauma porn, you know. Yeah, let right. Me, let me hear your trauma porn. Yeah. Um, thankfully, though, you did run into some people who um, did know right. what At to Breaking do. Free. The other thing yeah. that helped me was... Um, I was, you know, and not all women, you know, are ready. At, they're ready at different times. But when I went to Breaking Free, I was very ready and eager to get out of that life. Volunteers sat down with me. They taught me how to, you know, send an email with an attachment. How do you write a professional email? Um, they sat down right next to me. Here's how you use Excel. You know, here's how you create a budget. Um, they dealt with all my meltdowns when the printer didn't work, you know, and my reactiveness and, you know, oh, Jenny, it's just, it's going to be okay. All you need to do is do like this because all the negative thoughts would come mm-hmm. pouring in my, you can't do this. Who do you think you're kidding? Right. You can't get out of this lifestyle. You're not one of them. You don't deserve it. Because you had to undo all your grooming. That's right. And probably still are today. It's probably going to be a lifetime process. But thank, thankfully, there were people that were willing 
to just be there. You know, I, I can't help but think of of Jesus approaching the, the woman at the well. And um, Jesus, of course, knew everything she had done, everything she was doing. Um, but he sought her out and began to ask questions. And um, he didn't shame her. Right. Uh, he didn't dismiss her. He didn't treat her as a second-class citizen. Now, the disciples, uh, when they came back and saw all this happening, they were appalled. Like, how dare you talk to someone like this? It would have been like the people in the supermarket. Mm -hmm. How dare you be like you are? Jesus saw right through it all, right mm -hmm. into the woman's soul. Yeah. And when you're talking about how Christians can respond to this, man, we, we've just got to, number one, we have to understand that we all have a sin problem. And if you don't think you have a sin problem, then you haven't read Scripture. So if you have a sin problem, there is no degree of uh, your need for God. Uh, the only answer to the sin problem is Jesus Christ, period. That's now, right. the sin takes different forms. Sometimes it's more destructive than other forms. But it doesn't, it doesn't measure a person's worth. Um, and it seems to me that um, the hardest thing about people understanding what you've been through is that aspect of it because that that life seems so dark and so um, out of the ordinary to a lot of people. Like, well, how can those people be worth anything? And they're not thinking that consciously, but I'm sure you you feel that. What I mean, the the looks, the what they say to you, and all yeah. those things. I'll never forget the time in Atlantic City. This is I was working on the street, on standing on the corner, and this car pulled up. Uh, this convertible and it had about four or five women in it. The light was red, and I could hear them laughing and giggling and probably calling me names. As soon as the light turned green, they all threw their sodas at me. You know, I mean, it was just—I knew how the world felt. It, you know, that happened. Things like that happened on a regular basis. Yeah. How did you come to a place then where you were willing to give your life to Christ and this all began to change? Well, I had lost all my children, you know. David had went to go live with his father who had turned his life around and um, my son Devin, he was living with my dad and I gave up my son Dylan, I gave him up to my brother and my sister-in-law, and they did a wonderful job raising him, and Destiny was taken into uh, the foster care system, and my life was just completely empty. You know, I had nothing, nothing left, and I just, I, I had already had five suicide attempts. Those weren't cries for help. I actually really wanted to die. But somehow, by the grace of God, I, I wasn't successful, and I was contemplating suicide again. And then I decided I was going to ask God one more time, you know, to please change my life. Give me a different life. I can't live another day like this. And if you're not going to give me a different life, then just kill me. Mm -hmm. A desperate cry for help. Yeah. Yep. And when I woke up the next day and, you know, 
there was a domestic the night before. I was all beat up and had to clean up all the broken glass and broken furniture. And I ended up finding drugs that I said, God didn't hear my prayer. Look Mm -hmm. at this. Everything's the same. Then I got an eviction letter. They wanted me out of that place. I didn't know where I was going to live. But he did hear my prayer because he ended up leading me to different places after that. I didn't see it at the time. But here you are. But here I am today. Tell me about the organization that you founded and, and what that's all about. So JCS stands for Jesus Christ Saves. And because he's the only, the only way out is Jesus. You don't have to be a Christian to come to JCS, but we are going to pray about you, and we are going to talk about Jesus. And um, right now I have 19 beds for women who are in recovery from addiction and trauma. All of them have been through trauma. Most of them have experienced sexual exploitation of some sort. And, you know, I've got women that um, have been there a couple years now. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no exit date because I get that it's a process and everybody's process looks different. And I really pride myself on meeting people where they're at and creating a very safe, home-like, family-like environment for these women so that they can be successful and make good choices and um we've been around for five years now i'm not sure if we're the only one but i don't know of another program that's doing it non-profit like this most sober homes are for profit and um you know we've we got all kinds of things going on you know i'm teaching them how to garden how to you know go to your vegetable garden and eat make a salad just going outside and just cool things like that we go camping every summer Uh, we have our christmas party every december you know creating that support network Mm -hmm. you know you have to have that so so a lot of them are you know not you know their families are upset with them not communicating with them some of them have lost their children you know you cannot change your life around until you get around some other people who are not looking at you like you're a piece of crap, mm-hmm. who are telling you, you can do this, mm-hmm. and I'm here for you, and I understand because I'm going through it too. You can't, nothing, no change can happen unless you have that support yeah. and encouragement. And you've got, you wrote a play. I wrote a play. And you're going to be, that's all coming up. How do how do we get access to that information? So I am going to put a link on my website uh, so that you can purchase tickets to the play. My website is jcssoberliving.com. No, I'm sorry, it's .org. jcssoberliving.org. The name of the play is um, The Survivor's Story Spotlight. It's going to be July 18th at 6.30 p.m., it's going to be at the E.M. Pearson Theater at Concordia University. That's 312 Hamline Avenue. And that's all your thing. So that's pretty exciting. And you have actresses playing different, different parts of your life, right? That's right, yeah. And you also, I'm sure, would welcome people checking out your organization for donations and so forth. So why don't you give me that uh, website address one more time? jcssoberliving.org. Okay, Jenny, uh, you have uh, an amazing story. It takes a lot of courage to talk about it. 
but we need to hear it. So thank you so much for letting us uh, inside to see what God has done in your life. Thank you for having me. God bless. In Isaiah 26.3, this is what the prophet said. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. And sometimes life throws curveballs at us. We find ourselves in situations that we never thought we would. Jenny talked about that. Uh, We don't uh, dream of getting ourselves into trouble or somebody else getting us into trouble. We don't dream about having trauma, of losing people, having our lives shattered. But it happens. But the Bible promises that if that happens to you or if it's happening right now, that God has not forsaken you. And God has promised that no matter what you're going through, he is sovereignly there with you, even when it feels like you're all alone. You know, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, the the words that we don't focus on very often are, Lo, I will be with you always until the end of the age. And so Jesus is there for you. Don't give up. Reach out. Ask for help if you can. And I want to thank you for listening to Life Support. I want to thank our partners, Faith Radio at MyFaithRadio.com. You can see a video version of this podcast at FiveStoneMedia.com. Check us out here at Ridgewood Church at MyRWC.org. And I'd love to see you on Twitter and my handle at PastorPaulJ. And thanks again for listening to Life Support. Life Support is a co-production of Five Stone Media and Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. to this Life Support Podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Life Support, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of Life Support.